Today we come to the last sermon in our series, The Men Behind the Exodus. And last week we considered Caleb, and today we come to Joshua. Caleb and Joshua, of course, are best known for being the only two spies that came back with a positive report to possess the promised land. We'll talk about this a little little bit later as well. Also, Caleb and Joshua were the only two from that generation that were allowed to go into the promised land. Now, Caleb, he occupies a little space on the pages of Scripture. But Joshua, well, he is mentioned 216 times in 10 books of the Bible. He's also, of course, a whole book is devoted to Joshua and to his ministry. Give you a little bit of background. Joshua was born as a slave in Egypt, in bondage in Egypt. He would have been around 40 years old when the exodus occurred, when God led his people out of the bondage of Egypt. So we see that Joshua shared in all the events of the exodus. He served as Moses' protege for 40 years, and he was the commander of the Lord's army. Joshua would also lead the conquest into the promised land. And he would lead this conquest until he passes away at the age of 110. That's a pretty good run, don't you think? Joshua's public ministry lasted 65 years without a blemish. I don't think you can find a negative word about Joshua. Now, Joshua's name... Originally was uh, Oshea, which means salvation. Moses is the one who changed his name, meaning Jehovah is salvation. And I think his name is truly a key to understanding his life and his, his ministry. Probably no one else in the Old Testament prefigures Christ for us as much as Joshua does. This morning, I want to focus on three aspects of Joshua's life. First, I want us to look at Joshua, Moses' faithful servant. And then Joshua, the commander of the Lord's army. And then lastly, Joshua, the leader of the conquest into the promised land. Now, Joshua was Moses' faithful servant. We see that Moses chose Joshua to assist him right after leaving Egypt. Now, Aaron was Moses' mouthpiece, but Joshua was Moses' servant. At the very beginning of his book, the book of Joshua, it begins by saying, it came about that after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant. Now, we realize that Joshua is the human author of the book of Joshua. But it's interesting to see how the Lord led Joshua to identify himself. Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant. This is totally reminiscent of the way the Apostle Paul identified himself in the New Testament when he wrote, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ. And stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it's required of stewards that that one be found trustworthy. 
And as you look at Joshua's life, you'll see that Joshua was truly trustworthy. Joshua was at Moses' side during the ups and the downs. Joshua was the faithful servant to the Lord, and he was a faithful servant to Moses. He was there when the Israelites cheered Moses, and he was there when they criticized Moses. He was there at the height of Moses' popularity, and he was there at the lowest points of public opinion against Moses. Joshua was by Moses' side on the mountaintop as well as in the valley. He served faithfully at Moses' side for 40 years. Now, it doesn't take you long of reading the book of Exodus to find out that Moses wasn't perfect. Moses wasn't perfect, but Joshua knew that the Lord had called Moses to be the leader of God's people, and therefore he was going to be Moses' servant with unwavering faithfulness. So when it came time for the Lord to choose Moses' successor, Moses spoke to the Lord saying, May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who will go out and come in before them and who will lead them out and bring them in so that the congregation of the Lord will not be like sheep without a shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man whom is the spirit, and lay your hand on him and have him stand before Eleazar, the, the priest, and before all the congregation and commission him in their sight. You shall put some authority on him in order that all the congregation of the sons of Israel will obey him. So Moses did as the Lord commanded, and he took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the the priest and before all the congregation. Then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him just as the Lord has spoken. Now these verses really do teach us a lot about the man Joshua. It teaches us that Joshua had a shepherd's heart for God's people. Because Moses says to the Lord, Lord, we need a man who will be a shepherd so that the people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. So Joshua had a shepherd's heart for the people of God. We also see that this scripture teaches us that Joshua was full of the Spirit, he had godly authority. And it was full of wisdom. Secondly, I want you to see that Joshua was the commander of the Lord's army. Immediately after the Exodus, after the Red Sea experience, we see that Moses chose Joshua to be the the commander of the Lord's army. And as a military leader, Joshua will be considered within history as one of the greatest generals of this world. But I believe there's two episodes in Joshua's life that convinced him that these military victories that he was able to to have success was not because of himself and his talents and his gifts, but rather because Joshua knew 
who the real commander of the Lord's army was. The first episode we see is at the very beginning of Joshua being the commander of the Lord's army. When, when they go against the Amalekites in Exodus chapter 17. And the Bible tells us that Joshua, he guided the armies of Israel and overwhelmingly defeated the Amalekites. So we're tempted as we read this short narrative about this first battle, we're tempted to conclude that Joshua's military expertise is what really won him the day on that first battle. But if we take a closer look at Exodus chapter 17, we'll see that something odd was occurring. We read in verse 11 that whenever Moses' hands were held up, Israel prevailed. But whenever his hands were lowered, the Amalekites prevailed. And eventually they caught on to this, and so they dragged a stone over so that Moses could sit on the stone. And Aaron on one side and her on the other held Moses' hands up. And the Israelites prevailed mightily against the Amalekites. I think what the Lord was trying to teach Joshua in his very first battle is that the battle belongs to the Lord. Amen? And victory belongs to the Lord. And he didn't want Joshua to get a big head. He wanted him to know from the very beginning that any success that he would earn would be because, because of God's grace in his life. The other episode that I think really influenced Joshua as the commander of the Lord's army was when the children of Israel had crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land and they're right outside of the first fortress city of Jericho. And the Bible teaches us that it came about that when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. Now, we understand this to be what's called a Christophany, or a Christ appearance. This is a pre-incarnate Christ who comes to Joshua with a sword in his hand. Now, Joshua, this text goes on and tells us that he went over to him and says, Are you for us, or are you our adversary? And he said, No, rather I have come now as the captain of the Lord of hosts. And at that moment, Joshua knew who he was standing before. The real commander of the Lord's army. So Joshua fell on his face to the earth. He bowed down and says, What has my Lord to say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord of hosts said, Joshua, remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. You see, I believe that Joshua experienced such great success as the commander of the Lord's army because he knew who the real commander of the Lord's army was, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lastly, I want you to see that Joshua was the leader of the conquest into the promised land. 
Now, it's important that you all understand the significance behind the, the promised land. Uh, people want to make so much about the holy land, the promised land. But I need for you to understand that the, the, the promised land was a critical part of God's redemptive plan. When we look back into the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant that God made with Abraham, we see that the Lord had issued key promises which included a temporary land and a temporary nation so that the Christ would emerge and everyone would know exactly who the Christ was. When you go deeper to the theological significance of possessing the promised land, we see that it symbolizes God delivering his people from the bondage of slavery so to enjoy God's rest and God's goodness. The promised land symbolizes something for us. You see this imagery behind when the Lord calls Moses. Hear what the Lord says to Moses. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from the land, uh, bring them from, from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Now listen. The, 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 the promised land is, is beautiful, but there's a lot of beautiful places in the world. There's nothing any more spectacular about the promised land than if you visited uh, uh, the Grand Canyon or any other beautiful place in the world. The, the Lord just wants them to know, I'm going to use this land for a special purpose so that my blessings will come upon you. That's the reason why the Lord says, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, you know the land didn't produce milk, right? You know the land didn't produce honey, right? The Lord is using this imagery saying, listen, I'm taking you to a new place, not a place of bondage like you used to be in. I'm bringing you to a spacious, a place of liberty, a place of my grace where you can enjoy all of my benefits, just like if you were drinking milk and eating honey. So we see that the promised land symbolizes the redemptive restoration of God in our lives. And this is the reason why when those ten spies came back with a negative report, this was so grievous to the Lord. It wasn't because of, of the land. It's about their faith, believing what the Lord will do. Remember how Moses had sent representatives of each tribe, 12 representatives, to spy out the promised land. And ten came back with a negative report, and two, Joshua and Caleb, came back with a positive report. And the congregation of Israel, the scriptures teach us, they listened to this bad report. And when, when Caleb and Joshua realized that the people were giving ear to this negative report, the Bible tells us that they tore their clothes and said, quote, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceeding good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Lastly, only do not rebel against the Lord. 
Do not rebel against the Lord. Notice, not possessing the land was an act of rebellion against God. Not possessing the land was an act of rebellion against God's redemptive purposes. And this rebellion caused the people to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, waiting for that rebellious generation to die off. And only Joshua and Caleb would be allowed to enter into that land. Only Joshua and Caleb believed the redemptive promises of God that from that land the Christ would emerge. Now, of course, Moses deeply desired to lead the Israelites into the promised land, but the Lord would not allow it. So the Lord told Moses, charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he will go across at the head of this people and he will give them as an inheritance the land. Now, the Lord not only allowed Joshua to enter into the promised land, but the Lord chose him to lead this second generation into receiving God's inheritance. So, Joshua led this conquest into the promised land. Basically, the book of Joshua talks about not only the conquest, but also the disbursements of the territories given to the 12 tribes of Israel. And then it comes down to the end of the book of Joshua where we see the Lord gave Israel all the land which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they possessed it and lived in it. The Lord gave them rest on every side, according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And no one of all their enemies stood before them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hand. Not one of the good promises which the Lord had promised to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. Praise be to God. The land symbolized the redemption and the rest that God gives his people. Rest from their wandering. Deliverance from their slavery. And this is what the Lord gives us through Christ. The land is just a symbol of our own lives and what God desires to do in each one of his kids. Now I wanted to highlight these three aspects of Joshua's life this morning. One, Joshua as Moses' faithful servant. Two, Joshua the commander of the Lord's army. And three, Joshua, the leader of the conquest of the promised land. And I wanted to highlight these three, er, these three aspects of Joshua's life because I believe it foreshadows the great Joshua that was to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Joshua's name is the Hebrew pronunciation of the Greek name Jesus. Joshua and Jesus, they share the, the same name. That means Jehovah is salvation. As I stated earlier, there's probably no other person in the New Testament that prefigures the Lord Jesus Christ better than Joshua. I believe that Moses changed his name because he saw in Joshua the characteristics of the Christ 
who was to come. Joshua was Moses' faithful servant. But Jesus is the Father's faithful bondservant. Amen? Jesus is the Father's faithful bondservant who humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death upon the cross. Yes, Joshua's public ministry was without blemish. But Jesus, the Bible tells us, offered himself to the Father without blemish. Joshua, yes, he was the commander of the Lord's army, enjoying victories over their enemies. But the Bible tells us that Jesus disarmed all the powers and authorities and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus is the better Joshua. As a commander of the Lord of hosts, Jesus reigns far above all rule and authority and all power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Amen? Jesus has put all things in subjection under his feet, and he gives victory to all those who follow him. Jesus is the better Joshua. I'm convinced that the true commander of the Lord's army will give us the victory over things that are present in our lives today and the things that are coming down the pike towards us. Jesus Christ is the commander of the Lord's army and he will give his people victory. Somebody should say amen to that. That's, that's just too good. Don't you realize that through Christ our commander... We are overwhelmingly conquerors through Christ. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Amen. That's better, folks. Joshua led the conquest of the promised land. But Jesus leads us to a better land. That is a heavenly one. Better land than this earth will ever give us. Jesus will give us that inheritance. Through Christ, we are the citizens of the kingdom of God, and he has delivered us from the bondage of our slavery to sin, and he's given us rest from our wandering in the wilderness of this life. Jesus Christ is the true Joshua, and he is the only one who can give us rest on every side. If Joshua had really given the people the rest of God, then God would not have mentioned another rest yet to come. Joshua's conquest into the promised land was only a type of the better conquest yet to come. Joshua's conquest into the promised land is just a mere shadow of what God wants to do in your life through Christ. Christ wants to make a conquest into every corner of your heart. The children of Israel, if you don't know it, even after Joshua's great leadership, did not expel all the darkness of the land. They didn't finish the work. But through the work of Jesus Christ, he can finish the work in you. He can do a conquest in your heart so that you might truly, truly, truly give glory and honor to God. See, the conquest of Christ 
Well, it defeats all of his enemies and all of our enemies. Amen? Through the conquest of Christ, he has secured for us an eternal inheritance, which the Bible says is imperishable, undefiled, and it will not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. In Christ, all the Lord's good promises will come to pass. And there's someone here today that needs to hear that. In Christ, all the Lord's good promises will come to pass. Brothers and sisters, today I want you to see the better Joshua, our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know that Christ alone is the Father's faithful servant who is the only one that completely humbled himself to do all the Father's holy will. And because of that, our Father in heaven highly exalted him. Therefore, today we should humble ourselves and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen? I want you to become convinced. I want the Holy Spirit to convince you today that Jesus Christ is the true commander of the Lord's army. And that the Lord Jesus Christ will give you victory for the things that are present in your life and will give you victory for the things yet to come. I want you to have confidence. I want the Holy Spirit to convince you that we are overwhelming conquerors through him who loved us. I want you to enter into the rest that the conquest of Christ will secure in you. Let Christ flood your life. Let him banish every bit of darkness. Let him search out every part of you. Don't leave one inch of the territory undone. Let the conquest of Christ work in you mightily. The Bible says that there remains a rest for the people of God. Therefore, I want to encourage you to be diligent to enter into his rest, the rest of Christ. I want us to be diligent to enter to the rest of Christ by ceasing to to try to please God through our own attempts. I want us to rest in Christ and be diligent to enter into his rest, knowing that we are no longer slaves to sin, that he's brought us into a land of liberty, of a spacious land, flowing with milk and honey, so that all the promises of God can be yes and amen in you. I'm basically just asking you to rest in the true Joshua. Let's be diligent to enter into the rest of Christ. Let's be diligent to depend upon his spirit to keep us from wandering in the wilderness of the worry of this world. Let's be diligent to allow Christ to lead us into the promises of God. Let us Rest in Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this great example of Scripture through the life of Joshua.
But Lord, we recognize today that you are God's faithful servant. You've done all things to please the Father, to fulfill his holy will. Lord Jesus, thank you for Joshua. But Lord, we know that you, Lord, are the one who leads us and guides us. You're the one that brings us not necessarily into the promised land, but into the promises of God so that we might enjoy your grace and your love. Lord Jesus, you are the better Joshua. And we pray today by your Holy Spirit that you will search out our hearts. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Claim me as a child of God. And as a child of God, Lord, I ask you to search me out. To do a supernatural conquest in my heart. Lord, work in me so that I might truly, truly live and enjoy your promises. Your great promises that are as good as milk and as sweet as honey. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.